If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Lindsay woke up, got ready, and went to work. The day was nothing special, just a regular Wednesday, hump day, and the start of a new month. It was still summer, and she can still enjoy the warmth of the sun and when she gets home. Liz, as her friends and colleagues called her, went about her day at the group home, caring for troubled teenagers, making sure their needs are met and her job done. As the clock ticked and turned day into afternoon, Liz ended her day and thought of home. Finally, another day's hard work is done. Liz got in her car and headed west. The sun was still up, and she'll get home in time to enjoy a lovely summer evening. Since she's done this drive many times, you can say Liz was on autopilot. She was cruising along the road when all of a sudden, the interstate her car was on was just gone. Every muscle in Liz's body froze. Every muscle in Liz's body froze. She inhaled sharply and held her breath as her car plunged into the dark, murky waters underneath the interstate. She was just on the interstate, and now it's not there. Her car hit the surface of the water, making a loud splashing noise. Liz was helpless. It wasn't something she was ready for. As her car plunged down, deeper and deeper, the car's bumper made a dull thump as it met the bottom of the river. She unbuckled and tried to get out, but her car started to fill with water almost immediately, and what was left of the air she can breathe was slowly running out. She thought to herself, there is no way I can get out in time. Liz finally realized that this may be the day that she was going to die. You are listening to Untimely, a podcast about untimely deaths in earlier or recent history that left damages in its wake. I'm your host, Lynn. In New York, the most heavily used bridge in 2016 is the Whitestone Expressway Bridge in Queens, with about 218,000 vehicles crossing every day. In San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge supports about 112,000 cars daily. These two cities and bridges are two of the most populated cities in the United States. And every day, thousands of motorists cross a bridge for work, vacations, or transporting goods. Even in a smaller city like Minneapolis in Minnesota, commuters and commercial products pass through bridges to get from point A to point B, no matter the reason. In this episode of Untimely, we'll travel to one of the twin cities in Minnesota where a typical day of crossing a bridge for thousands became a hellish nightmare for hundreds. Minnesota's standard license plate proudly states, Land of 10,000 Lakes. In reality, there are 11,842 lakes with at least 10 acres in size. 
Impressive, right? Of course, to navigate this state, riddled with lake shores and views, it makes sense to build something to cross over the bodies of water. Bridges. To date, Minnesota has 19,776 bridges. Local municipalities own about 15,187, while the rest is maintained by the state. The average age of these bridges is 66 years. In 2014, it was surveyed that 830 bridges in Minnesota were deemed structurally deficient. The local and state governments have a lot of catching up to do. One of these bridges maintained by the state is Bridge 9340. The bridge was designed as a continuous truss bridge, which is a bridge without any joints or hinges across three or more support columns. Bridge 9340 is 1,907 feet long or 581 meters and 113 feet wide or 34.5 meters. It towers over the Mississippi River about 115 feet high or 35 meters above the water level and its longest span without supports is 456 feet or 139 meters. From the surface of the river to the edge of the bridge, clear 64 feet or 19.5 meters. The bridge has a split deck, meaning the two lanes going east and west are not connected. The building of Bridge 9340 started in 1964, and its reported cost at that time was about $5.2 million. In 2019 dollars, that's about $43 million. Two construction companies were contracted to build the bridge, but one of them, Hurricane Incorporated, backed out of the negotiations with the Minnesota Department of Transportation, citing an issue with one of its peers. The other company, Industrial Construction, continued the project and finished, and then opened to the traffic in November 1967. Approximately 144,000 vehicles pass on the bridge daily. The bridge connects two neighborhoods in Minneapolis, Downtown East and Marcy Homes. Aside from being known as Bridge 9340, Interstate Highway 35 West uses this bridge as a part of its route to cross the Mississippi River. After the bridge opened to the public, it was inspected every two years, then annually after 1995. Coming from the Midwest, I can assure you that Minnesota's winters can be brutally cold and damp. This type of weather takes a toll on roads and most definitely affects bridges. On December 19, 1985, a major vehicle pileup accident on the northbound side of the bridge occurred due to the accumulation of black ice. And for those of you who have lived in only sunny and warm climates, black ice is a transparent, thin, frozen layer of ice that blankets road surfaces which makes the roads turn into skating rinks. Black ice is formed when light rain, drizzle, or snow falls on the ground and the temperature drops below zero Fahrenheit. No amount of gripping tired treads or reliable brakes can stop a car once it coasts on black ice. I have experienced driving on black ice while I lived in Chicago, and it can be terrifying, even for the experienced driver. However terrifying it is on roads, black ice is much, much worse on bridges. This is because the surrounding air passes through above and below. In 1999, the Minnesota Department of Transportation, or MDOT, began testing several chemical solutions to spray on the road surface of Bridge 9340 to decrease the amount of black ice formation. In December of the same year, 
temperature-activated nozzles were installed that would spray the bridge with a solution of potassium acetate as soon as it drops to freezing point. Luckily, this solution was a success. It was quite fortunate that this solution worked because, in the case of Bridge 9340, black ice forms rapidly even without rain or snow. This is because water steadily spreads on the road surface since the bridge is near St. Anthony Falls. Louis Hennepin, born Antoine in Belgium, was a Catholic priest under the order of St. Francis Missionary. At the behest of King Louis XIV of France, Hennepin was one of the missionaries whose purpose was to explore the western areas past New France. As a quick background, New France, at its height, covered most of eastern Canada, up to Saskatchewan in the west and far south in New Orleans. In 1680, while Hennepin was on a mission, he observed and documented the falls on his journal. Once found, he named the falls after his patron saint, St. Anthony of Padua. If you've heard the name Louis Hennepin before, it's because he was also credited as one of the first persons to describe and document another famous waterfall, the Niagara Falls. In 1869, the natural falls collapsed but was replaced with an apron or a concrete overflow. In the 1950s and 60s, the falls became a part of a series of locks and dams throughout the Mississippi River. Two of these dams were converted into hydroelectric dams to harness the power of the river to supply electricity to businesses and residences near the falls. The falls was instrumental in turning the area into urban development. The town of Minneapolis thrived alongside the river in St. Anthony Falls. Nowadays, the St. Anthony Falls Historic District is a must-see tourist attraction with beautiful churches, famous landmarks, and is considered the heart of Minneapolis. In 1990, the federal government gave Bridge 9340 a rating of structurally deficient due to the corrosion found in its bearings. The Minnesota Department of Transportation did their best to address the issues. Cracks found in the cross girders distortions in the point bearings, and stress cracks all over. Support struts were added to the cross girders and holes were drilled in specific cracks to prevent it from expanding. Despite the efforts made to stabilize the bridge, 15 years later, it was again rated as structurally deficient and will possibly need to be replaced. More stress cracks were found, and this time, structural fatigue was evident. To give you a sense of how bad Bridge 9340 was, bridge inspectors use a sufficiency rating for all bridges. The range is from 0 as the lowest score and 100 as the highest. In 2005, Bridge 9340 was rated at 50. Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's not too bad. But, in the same rating period, out of 100,000 heavily used bridges like Bridge 9340, only 4% scored under 50. While all this was happening, Minnesotans continued to cross Bridge 9340. So with that statistic in mind and the rating of 50 by bridge inspectors and receiving a structurally deficient rating from the federal government, a plan was formalized in December 2006 to reinforce the bridge. But a month later, this plan was scrapped, citing that retrofitting the bridge will weaken the bridge further. Instead, 
the Minnesota Department of Transportation will perform frequent safety checks. Fast forward to seven months later. The Wait House served the needy of Minneapolis for a long time. Many of the programs offered by this institution has helped build lives and supported the basic needs of anyone from youth to senior and in between. The staff of the Wait House consists of employees and volunteers, and each one of them passionate and determined to serve the community as much as they can. During the summer, the Wait House offered camps, field trips, projects, and diverse activities to children from kindergarten to eighth grade. In 2007, the Wait House planned to bring the kids to a nearby water park as a part of the summer series. Obviously, as a big fan of water parks myself, I could just imagine how excited the kids were to go and how sad I would have been to be heading back. On August 1st, the Wait House brought 52 kids across town to the nearest water park. Making sure things were all excellent were eight staff members, mostly youth counselors in high school and college. One of the counselors was Jeremy Hernandez. For a whole summer's day, the kids and staff enjoyed the fun and excitement that a day at a water park can bring. But as the day turned into the afternoon, it was time to pack it up. By 5.30 p.m., the school bus carrying everyone on board made its way back to the wait house. Jeremy, along with the other counselors, were quite exhausted. While the bus coasted away from the water park, he was sitting near the back, leaned against the window, and started to doze off. At the helm of the school bus was Kim. Her son and daughter were two of the 52 who went to the water park. From time to time, Kim would look at her passengers to check on them. The adults looked exhausted while the kids continued to play games and recalled the day's events with one another. As Kim drove the school bus, she thought of the easiest route to take back. They were already running late. The bus was scheduled to arrive at the wait house at 6 p.m. At this rate, Kim thought, there was no way they will make it back in time. Then she thought, if she took I-35 West and crossed the bridge, they will get there faster. So Kim turned the bus and headed towards St. Anthony Falls. Around the same time, Greg Jolstad, or Jolly, known to his family and colleagues, was on Bridge 9340 that day with 17 other employees of the Progressive Contractors Construction Company. The project they were working on was to resurface the bridge road. It was already late in the evening, and rush hour was at its peak. Jolly was on the skid loader, a massive construction tool used in various projects. Jolly is eager to get home to his wife. It was a long way back home from where he was, about 90 miles or 144 kilometers one way. But the work was good and pays the bills. As he was driving the skid loader, he felt the engine shake. It usually does, of course, but this time it felt a little off, like it was swinging the entire bridge. Sarah Mundy Evans was on her way home from work. She was cruising slowly on I-35 West, going southbound on the bridge. Typical rush hour traffic, she thought. Looking around her were over a hundred vehicles moving along the same way she is. Suddenly, she witnessed something quite strange. About ten cars ahead of her, the road started to crumble and fall. At first, she thought that a sinkhole formed in the middle of the highway. Sinkholes happen, especially in Minnesota, where the weather wears out road surfaces every year. 
but then she saw that cars started to disappear. This was not a sinkhole. The bridge was collapsing, breaking into sections like jigsaw puzzles and began to plunge down the river below them. When the road underneath her car dropped down, Sarah gripped her steering wheel tight, holding on for dear life. Her car plummeted down, along with others around her. Jeremy Hernandez was awakened by a forceful jolt and a loud bang. When he opened his eyes, the bus was weightless, and he felt his body lifted up in the air. Then another loud bang, and the bus dropped down, and so did he. The kids in the bus started screaming. For a second, he thought he was dreaming, but then the bus dropped down again. Dust clouds filled the air, and he could barely see, but he can definitely hear. He heard the kids crying for help. It was then when Jeremy looked outside and realized that the school bus was leaning on a slab of concrete pitched to its right side, and in front of them, the bridge collapsed. Vehicles were plunging down the river. Luckily, the bus was not anywhere near the middle of the bridge, but it was just right above the riverbank. The road surface was slowly sinking into the water from the weight of the bus. A semi-trailer truck on their left side was almost down the river itself, except for the last two wheels still spinning above the road. The trailer was on fire and spreading fast. One of the counselors tried to open the front door of the bus, but it was jammed. Jeremy had to do something. They were trapped. Quickly, he kicked the back door of the bus as hard as he can until it swung open. Jeremy jumped down and two other counselors followed. They formed an assembly line and helped every kid on that bus to get out. Many were bloody and hurt. Kim, the bus driver, was one of the last people to get out. She found her son and daughter, gave them the tightest hug and thanked Jeremy for getting them out. Within six minutes of the collapse, the first fire engine company from Minneapolis arrived to initiate rescue operations. Neighboring cities and counties rushed to the scene and started helping people who were stuck inside their cars. Boats from the fire department aided people whose cars were partially submerged. All this while, knowing that there were probably multiple vehicles totally submerged in the river. Sheriff Rich Stanek was on his way to a meeting when he heard the report on his patrol car's radio. Without hesitation, he flicked on his lights and turned his car around and sped towards the bridge. Approximately 30 minutes after the collapse, he arrived at St. Anthony Lock and Dam just north of the fallen bridge. Minneapolis police and firefighters were already in the area. He jumped on one of the fireboats, and as the dam's gates opened, he became witness to the carnage and chaos, the black smoke pillars coming from the car engines, orange and red flames from several spots, metal heaps from vehicles crumpled like soda cans, and worst of all, people in the water screaming for help. Fortunate ones were able to make it to shore where civilians and some law enforcement were reaching out to them. The St. Anthony Historic District was devastated. The airbags on Sarah's car deployed as it crashed onto some debris above the river surface. She was able to get out and climbed what was left of the bridge. Another survivor on a bicycle took her away from the destruction. Once they reached the street, a good Samaritan drove her to a hospital. 
Sarah survived this harrowing experience. One of the emergency medical teams on a boat was close to a partially submerged chunk of bridge where it carefully took one of the survivors who was underwater for quite a while. Lindsay Wallace's car was completely submerged at the bottom of the Mississippi River. She remembered her vehicle filling up with water and her struggle to breathe. Somehow, she was able to get out of the car and she kicked her way up to the surface, evading debris as it continued to fall down. Once on the surface, a construction worker trapped in one of the bridge's sections yelled at her to swim towards the bridge. He was reaching out to her using a broom to pull her in. Within 81 minutes, at least 145 people were brought to area hospitals, most of them suffering from blunt trauma injuries. Of the 52 children on board the school bus from the Waite House, 22 were treated for external injuries. Firefighters checked partially submerged vehicles for survivors. Three hours after the collapse, all of the survivors stranded around the area of the bridge were evacuated. The harrowing task of finding those who are still lost in the river began. Despite the quick action of law enforcement, bystanders' willingness to help, and the courage of those who were on the bridge, 13 people died while over 100 were injured. The oldest victim was 60 years old and the youngest, a two-year-old girl. It was a devastating loss for the city of Minneapolis. At a nearby Holiday Inn, a temporary rescue and relief center was organized by the city, state, and Red Cross. It also became the staging area for rescuers. Families were encouraged to go to the site and talk to the officials and counselors and find out if their loved ones were rescued or worse, recovered. The Red Cross counseled survivors who experienced trauma. For three agonizing weeks, Navy search and recovery divers braved the cold and murky water of the Mississippi River, working almost nonstop to find those who were still missing. One by one, the bodies were recovered. But after two weeks, the divers were still looking for two more of the missing. Because of the bridge debris in the river, the divers needed help removing heaps of metal and concrete to search thoroughly. The city brought in a crane, excavation drills, blowtorches, and construction workers who helped cut through the beams and trusses in and around the wreckage site. Fortunately, the crew was able to remove 80 of the presumed 88 vehicles submerged in the river. Around 6.15 p.m., 19 days after the accident, the final body was recovered. Greg Jolstad's body was finally returned to his family. The recovered bridge debris was temporarily stored off-site following an investigation. Initially, Sheriff Stanek declared the area as a crime scene, as this was years after 9-11 and the threat of terrorism loomed over the United States. The National Transportation Safety Board was charged with the task of investigating the collapse, while a private company was also hired by the state of Minnesota to conduct a separate investigation. The NTSB took samples of the collapsed bridge for materials testing, interviewed witnesses and survivors, as well as collected photos and videos of the accident and previous safety inspections. While the investigation is ongoing, the state of Minnesota was granted federal emergency funding in response to the accident. At that time, the cap for emergency funding was $100 million, but both Congress and Senate drafted a bill that increased the cap to $250 million. 
On August 6th, then-President George W. Bush signed the bill into law, which benefited the state of Minnesota with the cleanup and disaster recovery of the area. The president visited the site two days before signing the bill. Within the state, both Democratic and Republican parties united to fund and plan a replacement for Bridge 9340 almost immediately after the disaster. Planning and construction of the new bridge started in December of the same year. The new bridge was to be designed as a 10-lane highway that can accommodate public buses and in the future, a light rail. In engineering terms, the design of the new bridge was a post-tensioned pre-cast box girder with a total length of 1,216 feet or 371 meters, 180 feet wide or 55 meters, and about 120 feet high or 37 meters. The new bridge's clearance from the surface of the river is much lower than its predecessor with about 70 feet or 21 meters. The new bridge, now called St. Anthony Falls, opened to the public on September 18, 2008, three months earlier than estimated. Installed in the new bridge are 323 sensors to measure the bridge's conditions at any point in time. The NTSB released the results of their investigation in November 2008. The solution of potassium acetate was thought to have added to the corrosion of the structure, but from the NTSB's report, it was not a contributing factor to the collapse. After almost a year of investigation, it was concluded that design flaws were to be blamed on the wreck. The bridge's gusset plates, which were steel plates connecting beams and trusses to the concrete columns, were severely undersized. In some photos, the NTSB found several gusset plates supporting the bridge were bending under the extreme weight above. In addition to the incorrect gusset plates, at least two inches of concrete were added over the years of resurfacing the bridge. This added weight, plus the weight of construction vehicles and materials, were cited as factors in the collapse. The state of Minnesota compensated the victims of the bridge at around $38 million. The state then brought litigation against Jacobs Engineering Group, a company that bought the original bridge designers. The company argued that the bridge was designed in the 1960s and any fault would be impossible to prove. The case even reached the U.S. Supreme Court, and its decision was to side with the state. In November 2012, the company settled with the state of Minnesota to the tune of $8.9 million, even though the company never admitted fault. Four years after the collapse, the 35 West Memorial Garden was opened to the public in remembrance of the victims and survivors. The design of the garden was led by Tom Usland, a well-renowned landscape architect, with the help and input from the survivors and families of those who died. During the ceremony, the names of the 13 victims were read out loud, and at 6.05 p.m., the time of the collapse, a moment of silence followed. The Memorial Garden is located in the parkway near the new bridge. In the memorial are 13 I-beam columns made of glass with the names and stories of each victim. Each column is 81 feet or 25 meters high, which symbolizes the numbers 8 and 1 for August 1, the date of the bridge collapse.
The survivors are also recognized in a black granite wall behind the columns. This quote was also engraved. Our lives are not only defined by what happens, but by how we act in the face of it. Not only by what life brings us, but by what we bring to life. Selfless actions and compassion create enduring community out of tragic events. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untimely. I am curious about what you think about this episode. Let us know by sending your thoughts to untimelypodcast at gmail.com. And if you can spare a few minutes, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us make the podcast better. Connect with us on Twitter at Untimely Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.